Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring upon every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And from Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. We're about to talk about rest. And my soul does not feel very restful. I don't know if you identify with that. So let's take, let's take 30 seconds of silence. Take some deep breaths. And I'll pray. And then we'll, then we'll start. But just bow your head. Don't, don't underestimate uh, the need for your body to be at rest as well. Take some deep breaths and prepare to hear the word of the Lord. Almighty God, who after the creation of the world rested from all your works and sanctified a day of rest for all your creatures, grant us, Father, that we, putting away all our earthly anxieties, may be duly prepared for the service of your sanctuary, and that our rest here upon earth may be a preparation for the eternal rest promise to your people in heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We've heard a lot in the past 
what was it, been three years now since the beginning of COVID? The COVID? It's been three years of hearing about COVID symptoms, right? You look through that list of symptoms, you feel something in your body, you go to the list and you're like, do I have this? Is this the COVID? <laughs> oh no. And then you have all the symptoms that you ignore and just hope it's not COVID or whatever else. But besides COVID, there's another sickness that I want to talk about this morning. And to do that, I want to, to introduce that, I want to give you some of the symptoms of this sickness. You know, you go to a doctor's office and they give you a long, giant list and you're supposed to check all the boxes of the symptoms that you have. This is that moment. Here are some symptoms. These are symptoms that I have, and maybe you have them too. Symptoms of this sickness. It's, the first symptom is being anxious. Does anybody have that symptom? You worry about your kids, you worry about your parents, you worry about your friends, you worry about yourself, you feel tense, you worry about the past or the present, or maybe you worry about the future. Another symptom of this sickness is being busy. Non-stop activity. You go to sit down and you just, all you can feel is your heart pounding. You try to sit and have some silence and there's just thoughts running through your head. Your mind is busy. And it leads to escapist behaviors. Does anybody have any escapist behaviors in here? I don't know if you know this, but binge-watching TV shows is not a healthy behavior. That's a, an escapist behavior. Scrolling on your phone forever is an escapist symptom. Running to food or drink, you can't slow down, that's being busy. How about the symptom of being fatigued? Your body is tired. Your soul is tired. Your brain is tired. You're emotionally tired. Does anybody feel that? How about the symptom of being burdened? Burdened by bills to pay and children to chase after, whether literally or metaphorically. Burdened by dishes in the sink and oil changes and having to go to church and having to go to community group and having to serve and having to read your Bible and having to do this list of things and you get exhausted. But the symptom of upside down priorities where you have these things that you think are important but you never get to them. You end up doing things that aren't important. You're reactive, not proactive. Upside down priorities. How about the symptom of being irritable? Easily annoyed and quick to anger. People walking on eggshells around you. Then there's the actual physical symptoms of this sickness. Being unhealthy. Being, feeling like you're physically sick all the time. Not getting enough sleep. Not exercising regularly. Lots of bad eating. I mean, I love my Reese's cups as much as the next person. But too many of them is bad for not just your body but your soul. How about the symptom of being lonely? Feeling disconnected. Maybe you're nostalgic for old relationships, but you have trouble building current ones. Or you feel spiritually dry. Or you just feel incomplete. Like you lack some, something's missing. 
in my life. And you're always like, around the next corner is that thing that's going to make me feel like I'm whole. And it's just the next corner never comes. These are, how many of these symptoms ring true? How many boxes are you checking on the list of symptoms of this sickness? And I have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is that you're definitely sick. Okay, you're definitely sick. That's the bad news. The good news is that every single person in this room is sick with the same sickness. That these symptoms, you're not alone in them. Every person in here has these symptoms. Every person next to you, every person across from you, doesn't matter your age or your gender or your socioeconomic standing, doesn't matter your last name or your marital status or how many children you have, it doesn't matter what car you drive or where your house is or what job you have, you have this sickness. And it's a sickness that I'm calling restlessness. The sickness of restlessness. It's a, it's a soul sickness. It's a deep soul sickness, an unsettled, discontent feeling, desperate for that thing called rest. One author says it like this. He says, restlessness pervades our lives. You can see it in our love for the screen with its diversions and distractions, in our demand for endless variety in what we eat and drink and wear, in our appetite for mind-altering substances from pot to Prozac to Pinot Grigio, in our fascination with crises in almost every area of human life. And this restlessness that you feel, that I feel, that we have, it's not cured by taking a nap. It's not cured by extra sleep. It's not cured by a new productivity app or a clean calendar or medication or surgery or moving to a new place or getting a new spouse or a new job. Your restlessness can't be cured by it. They may medicate you for a bit, but none of those things will cure it. Restlessness is the core sickness that creates all these symptoms, right? Your anxiety, your loneliness, your hurry, your physical sickness, your busyness, your dryness, your insecurity, all of these things are symptoms of the sickness called restlessness. And this is, not a, this is not an American problem. It's not a cultural problem. It's not a modern problem. Listen, this is Alexis de Tocqueville. You probably heard of him. He said this when he came to America from the continent of Europe in 1835. In America, I saw the freest and most enlightened men placed in the happiest circumstances that the world could afford. And yet it seems to me as if a cloud hung upon their brow, and I thought them serious and almost sad in their pleasures. The strange unrest, unrest of so many happy men, restless in the midst of their abundance. 1835. This is not a modern cultural technological problem. This is a human problem, deep-seated in every human heart. And every person, you'll find it if you look closely enough. You'll find it in their eyes, in their body, in their heart. If you're honest and look in yourself, you'll find it. Restlessness. And every week we come into this room with various versions of this, various symptoms, right? Well, I don't know what it is for you. And we hear this from Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You hear that? Have you heard that before? Jesus says that. Into our restless world to restless people, 
this deep-seated soul sickness of restlessness, Jesus says, I will give you rest. And if we're honest, we want that so badly. We hear Jesus say it, and we're like, yes, I need that. I want that. Whatever that is, I want it. And the question that I want to pose to you today and over the next few weeks is, what does Jesus mean when he says that? What is he offering to you? What is on offer? Like, what is he giving you? Is he giving you a day off? Is he giving you a break? Is he giving you an endless supply of five-hour energy? Like what is on offer from Jesus when he says, I will give you rest? And how do I get that in me? There's this Brian Regan, you know Brian Regan, the comedian, he has this bit about Pop-Tarts, and he's joking about the instructions that tell you how to make a Pop-Tart, and he's pretending to be confused, and he's like, how do I get that goodness in me? That's, like you hear Jesus say, I offer you rest, and you're like, yeah, I want that, but how do I get that in my body? Many of you have heard Jesus offer this for years, and yet you still are just walking around mired in restlessness. How do I get that rest in my body? And that's the question that I want to help us answer over the next seven weeks. Because you see, when Jesus offers rest, this isn't random. This isn't out of the blue. Rest is not some cherry on top. I suspect that many of you think of rest when you hear that word. You think of it as kind of like nice, but not essential. You're like Robert De Niro, right? I'll rest when I'm dead. Like, you don't need to sleep. Just go. Get it done. Make it happen. All this, like, restlessness is just a, we'll just have to put up with it until we die. Rest is, like, nice. Sleep is nice. Rest is nice, but it's not important. And here's the thing. For the Bible, for the biblical story, rest is one of the most important and central themes in the entire Bible. I don't know if you know this. Rest is a framework for the rest of the story. It's an organizing principle for the biblical story. It's like to have, to, to read the Bible without thinking about rest is like to watch Lord of the Rings without thinking about the rings. Like it just, the story makes no sense without it. And I'm not trying to overstate this just because this is my new favorite series, okay? This is true. Rest is a top two, maybe three theme in the entire story of the Bible. And so properly understood, restlessness becomes one of the primary problems that the Bible is trying to solve. Rest is central in explaining the kind of salvation that Jesus offers. And when you start to see it, you see it everywhere. And I want to unfold this theme for us over the next seven weeks, how it shows up in the Bible and what it means for our lives. To do that, I, I want to stop for one second and put my cards on the table because I have kind of an ulterior motive for this series. And that is that for this next 11 months, for these next 12 months at Redeemer, we are focusing as a church on the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is a word that means from the Hebrew means to rest or to cease. I've become convinced, deeply convinced, that Sabbath is a core keystone practice of the Christian faith. It's like cardio for fitness. Like, you, you absolutely have to have Sabbath in order to be spiritually healthy. I believe that in my soul. And many of you, like, lifelong Christians, like, well, I feel healthy without it. Well, two, two things on that. One is, I think many of us do practice Sabbath in small ways. We just don't know it. 
So I want to help us talk about that and think about that. But also, there's, if you don't have a practice of Sabbath in your life, the spiritual practice of Sabbath, then there's more health that you can experience, there's more rest that you can experience than you do now. And I want to invite you into that. And so part of my goal this year is that by the end of this calendar year that as many of us in here as possible will embrace some kind of clear, intentional, weekly practice and habit of Sabbath in our lives. Okay, I'm, I would love our church to become known as a place where it's weird not to practice some kind of, some kind of Sabbath. So honestly, I'm, I'm trying to disrupt your life here. I'm trying to actually invite you to change your actual daily life and rhythm based on the way of Jesus. We've been talking about this for years. This is one very specific way, and we're going to take a long time to talk about it. And the reason we're going to take a long time to talk about it is because, one, most of us are unfamiliar with or at least very confused by Sabbath as a practice. Okay, I think at best, many of you probably think of Sabbath as some kind of like self-improvement wellness practice. It'll help you like take a break, kind of recharge your batteries, get some me time, you know. And that's like the best thing that you think about Sabbath. Or, or worst, it's kind of like some legalistic, outdated for like fundamentalists or Jews or something that doesn't apply to like regular Christians. Okay, so we're very unfamiliar with the practice, and so that's, that's an obstacle. But there's a second deeper obstacle here, and that's that most of us are unaware of how Sabbath fits into the storyline of the Bible. Like, you know it's the fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath day. And you're like, what is that doing in there? Right? Don't murder. Love God. Keep the Sabbath. And you're like, we'll, we'll just forget that one's there. Just the nine commandments. <laughs> that one seems to get deleted. It's the one we're like, we don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Why did God institute the Sabbath day? What's its point? How does it fit in with the rest of the story? And when you start looking, you find out that it's absolutely central to the story from page one. And that's what I want to show you today. So we're going to spend seven weeks. I want to unfold this biblical theme of rest. I want you to see where Sabbath and rest occur, how it structures the story of the Bible. And then this summer, we're going to come back and do a six-week series probably on practicing Sabbath. To, to look at implementing that in our life. For the rest of our time today, I want to make one simple point from Genesis chapter 2, and that is that you and I were made for rest. We're designed for it. It's, it's, our, it's our purpose, and it's our point. In other words, in the, in the biblical story, rest is not just the absence of work. It's not just something you do in the margins to get back to the real business of living. Rest is not just taking a nap or getting a good night's sleep or having a vacation. Biblical rest is not the opposite of work. It's the opposite of restlessness, that soul sickness that you have. It's a way of being. Rest is not a fuel for the real business of living. Rest is the real business of living according to the Bible. So I want to show you this. I'm going to ask you to stick with me here for a minute. I want to show you where this occurs. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Bruce, if you have that. Let's see Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And at first glance you read that and it's like, well, God did his work and then he like sat in his chair and he propped up his feet and he stopped working, right? He, he rested, he, he ceased, he got tired and he took a day off 
God worked hard for six days, needed a day off. So we have, that's what, that's, there's a lot of reasons why this is wrong. That's not the correct way to read this. The first one is two reasons, two big reasons. The first one is this. You'll notice that all other six days have an evening and a morning. Remember this from Genesis chapter 1. Evening, morning, day 1. Evening, morning, day 2. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Day 7, no evening, no morning. Okay, this is not a normal day. God didn't just get to day sit, 7 and then sit around and twiddle his thumbs. Right? Day 7 in the biblical imagination and in this story, day 7 includes everything that happens after day 6. Everything. And clearly we know God didn't just sit around for all of history with his feet propped up twiddling his thumbs. God is actually still at work on, the, on day 7 and all of the following days. Okay? Day 7 is not simply a break in the action. Day 7 is the point. All of these six days, all the work God did in creation led him to do something. What was that one thing that God was getting to? Rest. He did all this creative work, and he got into day seven, and day seven becomes the destination and the goal and the purpose of all God's creating. And what does he do on that day? He rests. Not the opposite of work, but a specific kind of living, resting. And it's important, and this is a whole other thing that we don't have time to get into, but the idea of this being the seventh day is really important. In Jewish culture, in Jewish writing, the number seven represents wholeness and completion. It's actually introduced in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, that sentence has seven words. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, there's a sentence with 14 words. If you start looking for sevens in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's crazy. They're everywhere. It's insane. Seven, 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 seven is the goal and the point of the entire world. What creation, or sorry, completion, wholeness, and fruitfulness. And this is what the seventh day represents. God resting in this whole, complete ideal of living. God doesn't put his feet up. He gets to the seventh day. And he rests, meaning that he settles in and rules the world in production and productivity and wholeness. But there's another reason why we shouldn't read this as God doing nothing. There's two, and this is where I need you to stick with me, there's two Hebrew words for rest that we're going to look at in this series. The first one is Shabbat. That's the Hebrew word for Sabbath. It means to cease or to stop. It's used in verse 2 here. God finished all the work that he had done, and he ceased. He Shabbat. He stopped. Namely, meaning that all this work that he was doing of creating the world, is it was over. And Shabbat is a negative word. It means to not do something. Right? He's not working. He's stopping. He's ceasing. But there's another word in Hebrew that means to rest, and it's the word nuach. And this word has a very positive meaning. Sort of like we think of the word shalom, peace. We think of peace meaning the absence of war, but in Hebrew, the word shalom is a positive concept. That's how nuach works in Hebrew. It's a positive word that means to settle down, to settle in, to sort of make yourself at home. It's used in texts like this, Exodus 10, 14. This is during the 10 plagues. It says, the locusts came up all over the land and settled they nuoked over the whole world. They like made the, the locusts came and they made themselves at home. They settled in. They weren't not doing work. They were doing a kind of work of settling in. 
Or in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Now when the king, David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, had given him nuach from all his surrounding enemies. The king is at rest. Things are healthy and whole. He's settling in. It's like when I mow my grass, I get out there with my, my lawnmower, and I walk back and forth across my yard for a while. And when the grass is mowed, I turn my mower off, and I Shabbat from mowing. Okay? But then when you come over and we sit on my back deck and we smell the grass and we drink a beer, we are nuaching. We're resting. We're at rest. Right? You understand the difference? Shabbat is to stop, but nuach has this settling in, this living productively, enjoying the fruit of the labor. So one word means to cease. The other word means to rest and to settle in and to enjoy the fruit of the labor. Like, why are you telling us this. Well, in the Ten Commandments, number four is to keep the Sabbath day. It says in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, right? The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's the command of the Sabbath day for the Israelites. But then it gives a reason for this in Exodus chapter 20. It says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested, and the author uses the word nuach, rested on the seventh day. What did God do on the seventh day? He settled in to enjoy the fruit of his labor, to bring about wholeness and completeness. God made himself at home in the world that he had made. Far from being the end of his work, the seventh day was the beginning of the point of creating the world. But that's not all. Because in Genesis chapter 2, goes on to tell us how God made humans and put them in the garden. And then in our last verse, Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is an incredible verse, you just don't know it. You know why? Because the verse says, the Lord God took the man and nuoked him in the garden to work it and keep it. The word translated put is the word rest. God took Adam and he rested him in the garden with God for the purpose of productive and fruitful enjoyment of his work. That's what God put Adam in the garden for. This entire beginning of the story creates this beautiful picture of God and humans living together in the world, resting. Not doing no work. Adam was, he was in there to work and keep the garden, but it wasn't life-sucking work. It was productive work. It was picking fruit off the tree and eating it work. Enjoying the fruit of being in a state of rest. You know, we think of work as that burdensome, kind of soul-destroying, you know, but you know what good work is. You ever done good work? Where you're good tired at the end and you enjoy the fruit of that labor that's the kind of work that God had made for the world this is the picture of what the world is for God and humans living together enjoying the world we were made for this kind of rest wholeness we're not we weren't made for anxiety we weren't made for busyness and loneliness and burdenness. 
We weren't made to be unhealthy and exhausted. We were made to settle in, make ourselves at home, to find rest in the world. And this is why restlessness feels so bad, feels so wrong, because it is wrong. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's the opposite of what we were made for. Cheetahs were made to run, and birds were made to fly, and fish were made to swim, and humans were made to rest, to settle into the world and enjoy it. Not just to take a nap or a break or a vacation, but to enjoy the world as God made it. And so when Jesus says, I will give you rest, do you see this? He's not just offering you a recharge or a nap. He's saying, I'm offering you the very thing you were made for. Wholeness. Completeness. Being at peace. Rest is what we were made for, but rest is also where God is taking the world. It's the destination. It's where the whole story is headed, and you see this. Revelation 21, I'm sure you've heard this passage before. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw the new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is a picture of God again resting with men and women in the world. And so the story of the Bible begins in this place of rest. It moves through this restlessness back to a place of rest, and that's where we find ourselves. Everything that God is doing is about bringing humanity back to a state of nuach, wholeness, settling in, completeness with God. So as we start this series, I just want to invite you to consider two things. The first is this. Your restlessness whatever symptoms you have of it, is a spiritual problem. Spiritual problem. It's not just annoying (laughs) that you just have to get through or hold on to those burdens, that exhaustion, that anxiety, all of those symptoms that I talked about at the beginning. those, Those are symptoms of the central spiritual problem of our lives. And so I want you to consider where do you experience, what are your symptoms? What are your symptoms of restlessness? Where do you feel the pain of being not at rest? And do you realize that those symptoms are spiritual symptoms of a spiritual problem that has a spiritual answer? Anxiety, hurry, loneliness, sickness, busyness, insecurity. You need to take some time this week to identify those, share them with someone, talk about this. Where do you experience restlessness? Because until you identify that and understand and connect those symptoms to the spiritual problem of restlessness that God is solving, it's going to be hard for you to see how Jesus wants to meet those problems in your life. That's the first thing. Restlessness is a spiritual problem. The second thing I want you to consider is Do you realize that at the core of your day, from the minute you get up till the minute you go to sleep, what you're seeking is rest? That's what you're after. Do you realize that? Everything you do, everywhere you go, every person you talk to, motivated by a core desire to be at rest. 
Are you experiencing rest in your life? I know you're experiencing restlessness. Are you experiencing rest? Do you know what it means to seek and find rest, real rest in your body from Jesus? Jesus says, I have come to give you rest. Are you seeking that? Are you experiencing that? I want you to legitimately consider that question. Is finding rest in Jesus the driving central theme of your life? There's a great famous passage from Augustine where he says this. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us. Carry the evidence of our sin and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You awaken us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's the theme of the Bible. Our hearts are restless until they rest in Christ. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at various aspects of this. We're going to look at how it's connected through this, to the biblical story and how that plays out in our lives. The things that bring us restlessness and the things and the way that Jesus actually wants to bring rest to us. This goes back to our Ephesians series where when you think of rest final eternal rest you think of heaven but jesus says i have come to give you rest now okay full completion waiting till the end but jesus really does offer us rest in the face of our restlessness and i want you to see that and understand that you can experience that now let's pray father you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, I ask, look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your people. Lord, purify our disordered affections that we may behold you in your glory in the face of Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.